Okay, and it's an honor to have the lady of my house preach this morning, for sure. Go for it, babes. Well, he has another aww moment. I've had a few compliments on my dress. My husband bought this dress for me. Without me pointing it out, he went and chose it on his own. So, ladies, there is hope. There is hope. It only took 17 years. God rewards those um, faithful people on their knees. Hey? Um, before I get into my preach, we wanted to just put a bit of focus on this COVID-19 coronavirus. And I want to read something to you that popped up on the social media, which is actually a very dangerous place to be these days. Talk about hopelessness. But this was hopeful. This is Martin Luther speaking, and um, this was in the 1300s. And he was busy dealing with the Black Death Plague, the bubonic plague, that killed between, they're estimating about between the numbers of 7 to 22 million people died in that plague, okay? Coronavirus ain't got nothing on that. He writes, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me, and I have done what he has expected of me, and so I am not responsible for my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will freely go as stated above. This is such a God-fearing faith, because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God." The, the title of this letter was, Whether One May Flee from a Deadly Plague. <laughs> and I just wanted to point us to, there's, um, the prophets are prophesying, and the prophets have been prophesying, but there's three prophets. Um, I didn't add Lana, my best friend Lana Vosa, but I, she's, she's my favorite. But Doug Addison, Sean Bowles, Chuck Pierce, T.B. Joshua. This, I just want, us, I want you to hear what the prophets are saying. This was Sean Bowles. He was in South Africa two weeks ago, and this is what he prophesied. He read from Psalms 56, verse 9, out of the Passion Translation, where it says, The very moment I call to you for, fa for a father's help, the tide of a battle turns, and my enemies flee. This one thing I know, God is on my side. He says, I just felt like the tide is turning shortly, whether it's two weeks or two months. God cares about this. He is answering prayers, and I saw two vaccines coming. I think one will come from Israel and the other from an Asian nation. They're going to hit pretty quickly. That was Sean Bowles. This is um, Doug Addison. Sorry, now my phone's all over the place. Um, on, Friday, uh, on February 28th, I released a special word about the coronavirus and how the Lord had showed me the source. It was a three-chord attack from Isaiah 14:29. Then on Sunday, March 8th, at exactly 8.30 a.m. Pacific time, I had a dramatic encounter in the courts of heaven. I was shown four groups of warring angels. This is not the first time we've heard about the warring angels, church. Similar to Jeremiah 6. They will be released from the throne room of the Lord onto the four quadrants of the earth. 
Then the Lord made an announcement. Do not be afraid. This is a temporary storm that will indeed blow over. It will usher in a coming move of God. Yes, be wise, but do not fear. Let's stay in agreement with faith and not fear. Jude stole my scriptures, but that's okay. Well, Psalm 91, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For God will never give you the spirit of fear, but the Holy Spirit who gives you mighty power, love, and self-control. When you are looking on the social media and you are tempted to spread the fear, think. Don't send that WhatsApp unless it invokes hope and the power of Jesus. Don't do it. And along with everything else, sneeze into your arm, sanitize your hands, be wise, but do not partner with fear. Okay, this is a time for the church to arise, not to shrink back in fear. Also, Tony just handed two things this morning. The, um, don't know if you read, but the hospitals in Wuhan, the temporary, temporary hospitals that were established, and this, they put up those hospitals pretty darn quickly, they closed their last temporary hospital yesterday or the day before because the people are fine. The people are healed. And it was about the rain falling. Hey, was the other one. Um, was that from TB Joshua? He said that the rain would start to fall, uh, showers of rain that will wipe away the fear of the unknown. Well, it has been pouring in Wuhan. It has been pouring in France. It has been pouring in Italy. Anybody been on Facebook, you've seen the Italians come out on their balconies and they're singing. The human spirit is a powerful thing when it's, when it's used for good and it's pretty damaging when it goes the other direction. But they are raising their voices and we have nothing to fear. Um, I just want to make a quick announcement that didn't get made, purely on my error, is TREK. So TREK are our young adults. That's if you are between the ages of, um, I always forget, what is it, 18 to, I don't know, it's somewhere there, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, up to 35. Yeah, after school, sorry, our post-school. Thanks, Tracy, post-school. No. <laughs> Dave, you just miss it being in your 40s, I'm sorry. You've just missed the cutoff. We are, we are meeting at um, Sheldon and Kathleen's house. This is Sheldon and Kathleen. We meet at 6 o'clock this evening uh, from 6 to 8. We have Jane with us. She's been talking about strongholds, what they are, how we take them down. We are going to equip our young adults. Okay. Are we ready? We are ready. I'm a bit nervous, to be fair. Not nervous to talk, but there's something in the spirit. There's something in the spirit. It's been brooding for a while, and um, in preparing this word, God wanted it was is definitely taking me a direction, and I was definitely fighting it because it's not an easy direction to go. I pray that your hearts would open and that you would graciously receive what He wants to say. Um. Before we go into Ezekiel 37, we've had a lot of prophetic words as the Bay City Church um, over the years, but also in the last kind of two years, it's been quite a hard-hitting bunch of prophetic words, such as buildings, 
um, city and nation influence, worship schools would become an apostolic base, we'd have money, lots of it. I checked in the parking lot this morning, there's no buildings, otherwise this whole sermon is irrelevant, and uh, nothing's popped up overnight. So then I started to think about, I was sitting in an elders meeting and God took me to Ezekiel 37, the Valley of the Dry Bones, and I'm going to read through it now. And he was asking me, where do you think the church is? Which stage do you think the church is at? So on that note, let's read it. Ezekiel 37 verses 1 to 14 says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry, meaning they'd been there a very long time. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Oh, Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and I will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and the skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he had commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, stood on their feet, and, in, and as an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Son of man, these bones are the whole house of the Bay City Church. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, we are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel into the promises, basically, church, the prophecies that have come over us. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from my graves. And I, sorry, I read that. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. I mean, great passage of scripture. I love it because it's extremely prophetic in nature, but it's extremely visual in nature. Okay, I like visual prophecies. I, I understand them. So I'm sitting in the elders meeting, and um, God says to me, so where do you think the bay is? I was like, well, we're definitely not the pile of bones. Like, we might be at the stage of like the bones have just, they come together. You know, they've come together. So I go on the internet trying to look for some visuals for our visual people who need some visuals. Um, I came across this, which is obviously the Valley of Dry Bones, which we're not, so that's good. However, I don't really want to be that. I mean, that looks like the Night of the Living Dead. 
you know, that's not, uh, that's not great. But, you know, I thought, you know, at least, at least we're upstanding. <laughs> you know, that, that's, a, that's a great thing. And God is like, no, look again. And I looked again. And I was like, okay, better, but still slightly traumatizing. Okay, we've got, we've got some muscle, okay? I couldn't find the next stage because essentially that's naked people, okay? Severely inappropriate for church, okay? So the next phase that I, that I saw was us standing um, and we had skin on. And God said, look again. And I saw an army. I saw an army. And I was a bit shocked because I thought, are we, are we really at that stage? Like, sure. I didn't, I didn't expect that. However, verse 8, it says, And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, but there was no breath in them. And I said to God, okay, but that's actually quite exciting. And at this point, I excitedly shared it with the elders and was like, man, I got the word. Nope. They, they received it really well, but God was like, Mm-mm. He did say to me in that elders meeting, you're going to preach about it. And I was like, yes, please. This is one of those easy ones. You know, those easy preachers. People get it. You've got the visuals. We're the army. We've got the skin. We're on a mission. This is great. However, in preparing for this, he's like, there's a little part you've missed out here. There is a space between the army and the breath of God coming. This is a kind of a visual. I think I've got, I think I've got another one. We'll see. There's a space between. We can call the space the tension. I feel like as a community... We have held the tension of knowing God wants to do something with us, knowing that it's big, but not seeing any evidence of it. It's a very tense place to be. And tension is essentially the state of being stretched really tight. And we are stretched. It's a place where things are not what was prophesied, but also the place where things are not all that bad. The lights are still on. The people are still here. There's cars in the parking lot. Hmm, okay, it's not that bad. But what happens is that that place becomes the birthplace of complacency. Complacency, it's Oxford definition, if you're unsure, is a place of feeling satisfied with your own abilities or situation, and you feel you do not need to try any harder. Complacency is also the lie that the enemy feeds us, especially in this place of tension. That, well, nothing's, clearly nothing's changing. Still no buildings in the parking lot. So, actually, it seems to be getting worse. Now there's a virus, and ESCOM, we're on stage 625, so... Really, you may as well just sit down, have a cup of tea. You're uncomfortable now, but don't worry. You'll soon become very comfortable being uncomfortable. I mean, you've done everything. What more is there to do? 
just wait it out. Interesting word, wait. Its Hebrew uh, root word is kava. And kava uh, is expressed as to look for, to hope, to expect, to look eagerly for. So that says to me, it's, it's actually, it's an action. It's not passive. Okay? Once we become complacent, and complacency can play out in many different ways. You're not always sitting down having a cup of tea. can come into your way of thinking. We begin to abdicate responsibility. So if we've decided, well, you know what? Sheldon, we've done, we've done it all. We've put teams in place. We've got an eldership team. Keeping the lights on. You know what, babe? We can just actually sit down and, and, and chill. The problem, the very, very big problem with that is that I begin to abdicate responsibility. If Sheldon and I abdicated responsibility, there would be big problems. Everything would start falling to pieces. Once you've abdicated responsibility, it becomes a state of, it's okay. Someone else is going to get this done. You know, someone else is going to fast. Someone else is going to pray through the night. And then the breakthrough will come, and then it will be great. But someone else is going to do it. And surely, I mean, at this point, the elders and the leadership team, um, I mean, grief. They should have it at this point. It's their job, for goodness sake. Like, just want to let you in. Like, we don't got this. We don't got this. The eldership team. I mean, have you looked at the eldership team? I don't know if I'd place much confidence. I'm kidding. Okay, let's go back to that place of tension. It's actually got a a name. So this is the place. We're waiting for the Spirit of God to breathe. We're the army. This was out of Lord of the Rings, classic Lord of the Rings. And I felt like we're the army. There's this space in between before we actually go to war and take the spoils of war. We've been promised the spoils of war. But there's this interesting space, it's called tension, but it has another name. It's actually called liminal space. Liminal space. Liminal spaces are transitional or transformative spaces. They are waiting areas between one point in time to the next. So if we take the three words out of there, they are transitional, transformative, and waiting now, that says to me in my little teacher's brain, okay, that actually is movement. It's not passive. It's active. If something is transitional, it's the process of change. If something is transformative, it's the actual change, okay? So, like with U-turn, um, side, random side note, I went for a sozo healing uh, thing at Christchurch Kenilworth, which is amazing. You should all go. And I rocked up at the house that they own, a massive house in Kenilworth. And they said, no, 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 this is now U-Turn's house. You've got to go to the church. And I was like, that's amazing. They've got a whole massive space there. But um, I have no idea why I even said that to you. Oh, thank you. It's the actual change. So thank you. You two, uh, you two, U-Turn, there's a transformative process, okay? They go from homelessness to being active participants of society. And the waiting, in this case, is active 
not passive. Um, I, Anton got me onto Stephen uh, Furtick this week. I've not actually listened to any of his preachers before, but he was speaking on tension. And he's, this is an interesting uh, quote. Not interesting, it's just really good. Your tolerance for tension determines your potential for growth. So say it again. Say it again, Sam. Your tolerance for tension determines your potential for growth. Um, I'm pretty tense, to be fair. It's been a, um, a very hard season. Um, if I look back on our six years of leading this church, we've just, we've just clocked six in February. Many victories, many losses, and a lot of tension. But I know that he's developing in us. He's stretching us for the growth that is coming. So if it's transitional, it's active, requires action. Now let's get a little bit practical. Okay, what, do I, what am I talking about? How, how practical are we going to get here? Well, in 1 Samuel 15.22 it says, But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, or as in much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. So in the Old Testament... Uh, when the people uh, once a year would come to atone for their sins, they would bring the best of their crops, their cattle, and essentially the priest would do the sacrifice to atone for their sins. Can we just get on the understanding that God wasn't interested in the bry, okay? He could do his own meat, okay? God can bry his own meat. He was not interested in that. He was focused on their obedience. The key was obedience. Were they going to obey and give the best of? The best lamb, the best crop, the best. Were they going to be obedient? Abraham and Isaac. Do you really think God wanted him to kill his son? Is that the heart of the father? No. He wasn't interested in that, but he was so interested in Abraham's obedience, the father of nations. That's what obedience can bring. So on the Valley of Dry Bones, um, we're a little bit further than we thought we were, which is like a massive relief. Sure, we're not the night of the living dead. However, we are still waiting for God to breathe. He hasn't breathed yet. We're sensing something in our meetings there's a sense of an outpouring that's, begins, that's beginning to happen. But it's not at the full moment of him breathing. So we are required to do something, obedience. What does that look like in your life? What has God been asking you to do? At this point, I want to say, God only ever asks you to do one thing. I'll explain that at a time. He never pushes, he never overwhelms, and he never guilts you. The enemy pushes, he overwhelms, he guilts you, and puts you in a place of saying, you know what, it's all too much, and you don't do anything. God's given you one thing. He's speaking to you on one thing. What is that one thing? 
That one thing can be how much he wants you to give to him on a monthly basis. He's not interested in your money. He's interested in your obedience. If he has been telling you to give 25 rand a month and you do it, he takes that 25 rand and he performs the miracle. It's not about the amount. It's about the obedience. Have you been listening when he's been prompting you to serve in a certain area of the church? Is Margaret here? Margaret, Margaret running the tea. I was just going to ask Margaret if um, the tea was made by the magical fairy angels that we have in the kitchen. Um, I'm sure her answer would be no. It's actually made by people. Have you listened to God about the sin in your life that he is highlighting? Now, this is where the enemy jumps in. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not just that sin, hey? There's this one, there's that one, there's that one. Do you remember what you did then? You remember what you, and eventually you're like, oh, grief. And you forget about the whole thing and you carry on. What is the one thing he's been talking to you about in terms of habitual sin? And are you listening? Obedience is never convenient. Obedience is never convenient. I have a slightly lighthearted story to tell you because it's heavy, but it's fine. Um, I do Zumba, and that is thanks to Diana Morris, who's got me completely hooked. And I do it at my local gym, and I have been doing it for three years with essentially the same people for three years. However, never spoke to these people for three years. Um, because I've got enough people to speak to, so I don't really want to speak to other people. And I'm an introvert, so it's, 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 a, whole, it's a whole equation. Um, I know you don't believe me, but I am. I am. So at gym, um, on a day, uh, a lady that I had seen, I stand behind her. She's got Maureen. She's got the front block. I've got the second block. Those are our blocks. She started chatting to me. Um, and it was just a... A little innocuous chat, really, about a, a lepitoad. And then the next time, we spoke a little bit more. And then it was January. And I said, oh, how was your December? And she's like, oh, it's actually a really trying time. I had noticed there was a tattoo on her um, hand saying Ryan. And I just knew she had lost a son. This is the Holy Spirit. And she said, oh, this is a hard time for me because it's the time that my son was killed in a car accident 20 years ago. I said, oh, that's, that's really tough. Anyway, the weeks pass, and suddenly, um, these ladies are all talking together and to me, and I got appointed as the uh, mayor of the north side of the studio, and the other girl uh, appointed herself, really, as the mayor of the south side of the studio, because um, we've realized that there's one instructor we absolutely love, and sometimes they send another instructor in, and there's a bit of an issue there. And um, so in order to spread the word, we need two mayors, okay? Mayor of the North, Mayor of the South. And I remember walking out of class and getting into my car and going, you know what, Lord, I can't do this. I can't do more people. And especially these precious people, because there's a lot there in terms of like stuff and issues. And he just ignored me, really. He didn't, he didn't even bother to answer me on that. So now, suddenly, there's a braai happening, a Zumba braai. And I'm like, oh, now we're getting social, and like, it's another night of the week, and what do I do? 
And in this process, I am connecting with these women who are some a far, 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 far cry from God. But I made a decision and I said, God, you've clearly placed me here. Um, I'm never going to stop Zimba because I absolutely love it. So what do you want me to do? He said, I'm going to surprise you. The surprise was, I am getting so much life from these people. Not that I don't get life from you guys, but in a place that I didn't expect, where they accept me for me, the question did come, so what do you do? And I'm like, oh, not that question. <sighs> How do you answer this? Because church is, a t- is like a trigger for so many people. So the one girl in particular who had become very friendly was she's very, very like hard. And so she voice noted me, and she's like, oh, by the way, like, what do you do? So I thought, well... Me going funny, and then, then I can hit her with the truth, and then she'll be, you know, she's still laughing, and then it's fine. So I said, no, I'm actually, I'm a stripper at Mavericks. <laughs> and, um, why are you laughing? Well, if you go in with that, then at least, you know, if I come in with the pastor bit, like, it's, she's still stuck on stripper. Um, so... <laughs> Just to clarify for those listening online, I'm not a stripper. I've never been a stripper, and I will never be a stripper. And I said, actually, what I do is a trigger for people, but this is what I do. I lead a church with my husband. I got a 10-minute voice note back from this girl. She, I mean, she, every second word is a swear word, but it's, it's, it's colorful. And she says to me, she's laughing. She's like... I knew there was something different about you. Turns out she's, she knows God. She was Bible bashed by her dad and just went the opposite direction. But she says, you know what? She said, it is a trigger for me, but I've got to know you, and I really like you. You know what? Obedience is that simple. It's saying yes, and it's not always going to take from you. It'll actually give to you when you are obedient. When you are obedient when with that 25 rand, he gives back to you. Not always monetary, but he gives you life. When you are obedient, bringing that sin to him and saying, I don't want to do this anymore. He backs you up. The whole of heaven backs you up. As an eldership and a leadership, we actually... We need to repent in front of you. I'm not even going to make eye contact with the elders because they're like, what are you talking about there, Willis? We need to repent before you as a community because we have given off the perception that we've got this. Don't worry, guys. We're a capable team. We've got this. We're hearing from God. We're going. And it's true, but it's very untrue. Because this is pointless without you. Okay? Then we're just going on a nice little trip together as a group. 
Because you see, what happens when you, when you are picking up the perception of a team that has, is very capable and has got this, and there's huge giftings um, in the room, complacency begins to trickle in. And then it begins to flood. Complacency births a culture of entitlement. Entitlement, the definition, if you need it, is the belief that one is inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. Now you're all sitting there, oh, I don't, I don't. But it's actually a thinking, it's a thought pattern that goes along the lines of, I pay my tithe. So therefore, if I am late to register my children for kids' work, I am well within my rights to be rude to the kids' work leaders. I didn't make that up. That's happening. I work all week. I do not need to work here too. What begins to happen is it begins to create a drive-through culture, a McDonald's drive-through culture. You place your spiritual order. We place our spiritual orders. We pay a minimal amount. We get annoyed if it doesn't arrive in the short space of time. And the Lord help us if we get sent to the grill bay. Been to the grill bay? You're annoyed, eh? It's fast food for goodness sake. Now I've got to go sit in the grill bay for a whole 3.5 minutes. How dare you? We drive off, shoving it down our throats. We moan about the rudeness of the staff. And the quality of the food. But we come back the next week. Right? You see, a drive-through mentality will never be able to facilitate or sustain an outpouring or a move of God that is coming. This eldership team, this core leadership team, the greater city leaders, we cannot facilitate what is coming. There's a cloud coming. It's the size of a man's hand right now, but it's coming. It's coming. What are we doing? If we cannot obey the one thing God is saying to us, the one thing, not the 75 the enemy's pointing out, the one thing that God is saying to us, do you really think we'll be able to steward all the souls that he wants to bring? If you cannot steward your own life and the one thing that God is saying, forget about stewarding anyone else. Thank you, elders. I should not, we should not, sorry, the team. We should not be having to put teams in place at the kids' registration to divert rude parents from our kids' ministry leaders. I've got a page written on that, on how I'm going to step in and help. Because parents are being rude. Do you know that the kids' registration, and I'm harping on about the kids' work because it's, it's, it's high on my priority list and in my heart, is that we close registration at half past nine. It runs from nine to 9.30. Our kids' work leaders graciously extend 10 minutes, so they're at 20 to 10. And parents are walking in and being rude that they're closing 10 minutes after they should have closed. Then when parents are picking up their children after the meeting, they are pushing 
and shoving to get their children out. Not even a mere thank you to the teachers that are teach their children, taught their children. You're storming in on moments when the Holy Spirit is moving amongst the kids because you have a drive-through you've got to get to. I'm sorry, it's heavy, but it's on my heart. It's not good enough, guys. That's not the culture we are. It's not the people we are. If you see someone being rude, you pull them up and say, hey, that's not who we are. We don't operate like that here. Exactly, the serving. Tea and coffee doesn't make itself. Do you know what the best things to do in a church are? What's my favorite things to do in the church? Serve tea and coffee and be a welcome Judy. Love it. I can't stop hugging people during coronavirus. It's like it's in my freaking DNA. So I will be rebellious and I'll hug everyone and then I'll sanitize myself. I can't help it. I gotta hug you. Not partnering with fear. We have Sunday management teams. And I had a chuckle at you, Richard. No, Richard's on one of our Sunday management teams. He's, he's surveying this wall. And then he calls his wife over and he's like, look at this wall. And you can see their hearts are like, no, this wall doesn't look right. You know, the, the paintings have gone. There's not a big hole in it. Like, what is going on here? This is not how our church should look. That's a beautiful heart. I'll tell you what's going up there, a map of the world. A beautiful cork map of the world is going up there. So I've got a box here written, a box and a question marks, and I've put your Holy Spirit to confirm if I'm supposed to share this. Guess what? Buckle up. Not buckle up for the ride. Buckle up so you can't get out when I'm done. The topic of money. Money, money, money. We had to sit our staff down. And we had to explain to them that they, we have to start, we've been staggering salaries. This isn't one of those emotional like, oh, I need your money. I don't need your money. That's really hard to do when your staff is small but they are committed, they are loyal, they go above and beyond their salary marks to say, you know what, things have got so tight, we have to stagger. And there's a thinking that when you arrive in a building like this, whew, sure they've got it, eh? The lights are on, barely. And this is a trigger for many, because many of you have been through the prosperity gospel. Many of you have been abused by churches on this specific topic. Many of you are hurt in this area. Many of you are struggling in poverty. How is my money going to make a difference? I need my money. I get that. But are you being obedient to the one thing God has told you to do? That one amount. Because if you are, he takes it and he multiplies it. Our staff don't go to pick and pay and pay for their food with magic beans, folks. It's money. 
And as I was preparing and felt where God wanted to go, and specifically around the money situation, I was, oh man, as a, as a preacher and a leader, you, you try and get away from it as, as much as you can. But he's, he was very strong with me, and he said, because I fought it, and my reasoning was like, yes, but God, there are many, many who are serving. They are giving. Their hearts are in the right places. It's happening. And he said this to me. It's not enough for what I have planned for the bay. It's not enough. It's not enough for just the elders to be on it. It's not enough for the core leaders just to be on it. It's not enough for the committed few that are on it. If not every heart is in, this isn't happening. We may as well just shut the doors because actually it becomes a very futile exercise. And you see, there's always... Um, repentance can come before an outpouring. Repentance can come during an outpouring. But I have a strong sense that there's a repentance that God is wanting from his people. That God of Revival song, we sing it, man, and we sing it from our depths because we're like, God, you're going to do this. You're going to move. But actually, we've got to repent. As an eldership, we are repenting before you as the community. And you see, when it comes to the topic of sin, money, uh, the the prompting to serve, your way of thinking, your complacency, our entitlement, there is a group of leaders and people in this church that will walk it out with you. This is not on you. It's on us. So if you come and you say, you know what, I really struggle in this area of money and finance. You know what, I'll walk it with you. What is God saying? You know what? I have this habitual sin that I want to deal with. Great. Let's walk it out. Because none of us sitting on eldership and none of us sitting on any kind of leadership team have it all together. I can tell you that right now. Okay? We are human. We are fallible. But one thing I know that I know that I know that I know is that an outpouring is coming and that the bay is positioned. He is positioning us. Actually, he's positioned us. It's happened. The army is ready, and now we wait for his breath. But what are you going to do in the land of tension? What are you doing? Are you sitting down having a cup of tea? Put your tea down, get up, and do the one thing he has told you to do. I want to just place a a bit of a challenge. Our youth camp is needing some more money. I haven't even run this by the elders. Just running it by the elders. <laughs> Go? Okay. Um, we're going to take up an offering. You're going to empty out what is in your purses. Because let me tell you, what was standing up here is the next generation of where this goes. So if you're thinking, oh, well, they can, they've raised 36, they were running up and down a mountain to raise 36,000. What are we doing as a community? Are we saying, yes, we're behind this? Are we saying, yes, we believe in it? Or are we going to sit there and go, someone else will do it? Someone else will put money in. So it's going to come from somewhere else. It doesn't have to come from me. If you're even giving five rand, I don't care. It's where your heart is. God will do the miracle. God will do the miracle. So as we're going to get the baskets ready, they're running, they're running, they're running. Just thinking, Holy Spirit, where do you want to go? Where do you want to go? We're going to sing God of Revival. And you're going to sing it from a place of God, what is the one thing you're saying to me? What is the one thing you're saying to me? 
And at that point, if he's saying one thing, you come to the front. You action it. You action it. This is not passive anymore. This is not passive anymore. We're not playing games anymore. Okay? We've been nice for six years. We're like, God, you're going to do this. But now I'm at the point of like, God, you've got to do this. I'm desperate. I'm desperate to see you move. I'm desperate to see the buildings. I'm desperate to see a community saved and reaching out to you. I'm desperate to see the finances in a better place so that we can extend your kingdom. I am desperate, but my desperation is not enough. Are you desperate? Do you need him to move in your life? Please stand with me. I've called on backup. Uh, I have a, I have a, there's a quote. I don't know where I pick it up, but I, I know where it's from, but that, that's not the point. But somewhere in my personal journey, this, this quote came to me. God used it. It's by someone. Um, and it's been with me for the last few months. I shared it last night with a colleague, um, just with their own uh, journey where they are. I shared it, uh, I think, last week with my wife. Um, and, and I'll share this on the back of what Kathleen has just brought to us, because I feel that these words are so personal when we're talking about a corporate um, move of God and a community, but how do we make that abstract, um, practical and tangible for each one of us? And 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 I share with you that this this these words um, are have been so true for me, and I testify to God um, working in my own life in this space. And here's the words. The cave, here's the quote, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. The cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. So that, when I heard that, it got me thinking, okay, God, what are you saying to me through these words? What is it that I'm seeking? What is the treasure in my life? What is the treasure that I'm seeking? What is the breakthrough that you're seeking? What is the breakthrough I'm seeking? What is the freedom that you're seeking? Or the freedom that, you're, that, you, you, that, that I was seeking? What is, the, what is the dream that I'm seeking? What is the treasure that I'm after? What is it that I want from God? What is it that I want? What is it you have not because you ask not because you know not what you want? So what is it that you want in your life, in your family, in your finances, in your business, in your job situation? What is it in your church, in your community, in your street, in your lives, in your school, wherever it is? What is it that you want? Because that is the treasure. That is the treasure you seek. And I believe God is saying that the treasure is not hidden. It's, it's in the cave you fear to enter. And fear, fear is from the enemy. So the enemy has placed, God has placed it there. And God is saying you have to step 
into that cave. You fear the darkness. You fear the, the overwhelming. You fear to let go. You fear to trust. Because the, uh, the antidote to fear is trust. The antidote to fear is trust. And the fear says, I'm afraid to step into that cave. But the truth is that, that when you step in, there it is. It was there all along. It was there waiting for you. And it's true for me. It's true for me. 62 days ago, I started on a journey with the Lord. A fast, a personal journey that God had been talking to me about for six years. For six years. When she says we don't have it, we don't got this. I'm telling you, for six years I didn't got that. I didn't get it. Now, now I got it. Now I get it. And you know what? When I got it, I, I get it. And I get it more every day. And you know what? The thing I was so afraid of, when I stepped across the, 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 the threshold, when I stepped across, the, all, I, all I needed to do, all I needed to do was just step. It, it, was, it was just step. Maybe for you it's, it's just fall. Maybe it's just let go. The moment I did, there it was. The grace was sufficient. The grace, I, I, when I stepped across, and I was, I'm like, I'm like, this is, this is 62 days later, I've shared my journey with some people, the elders know my journey, and I'm like, they say, how's it going? I'm like, why are you asking me? It's like the easiest thing in the world. This is like, I, have, I don't even think about my fast, because my fast is not the focus. Jesus is my focus. He has rekindled my first love. I got back my first love for Jesus. And I was so afraid. But what did I get? The treasure had nothing to do with my fast. The treasure was Jesus. And with Him comes everything I need. Everything I need. My daily bread He provides. His grace is sufficient. He is doing things in me that I never thought possible. In me. Now what does He want to do if that is true for each of the me's standing here? That's what she's talking about. What God has for us as a church. It's not abstract. It's personal. It's individual. It's real and it's relational. So what is it that your treasure is representing for you in your life? Because fear wants to keep you from stepping or letting go or falling. But I tell you what, when you do it, it is right there. God has prepared it in advance. It is the grace of God. So as we worship right now, my testimony, by the blood of the Lamb and my testimony, I say to you that Jesus is able and Jesus has prepared everything you need for that step. Take the step into the cave. Take the step over the threshold. Let it go. Fall back freely. Because what you know what? You are falling upward. You are falling into heaven. It's the upside down kingdom people. And God is waiting for you today. One day he will share his full story and you're going to get blown out the door. Nice to have you back, brother.
This is the cave. I've got a massive cave in front here. And if you want to do a prophetic action, you want, to talk, you want to talk to God about that one thing, you come in front here. All the elders are stepping into the cave. They didn't know that. Now they are. Now <laughs> they're stepping into the cave. I didn't mean that as a humorous thing, but the elders are stepping in the cave prophetically as we declare God of revival. You step here. And when you fetch your kids, please be nice. Please be kind. Thank you. Bless you. God of revival.
You've got to hear the chains that has just dropped right now in this house. You've got to hear the chains fall. Restoration has come into our lives today. God has done what He set out to do in our lives. And we, we hear you, Lord, that you are a God of revival. Thank you, Lord, that you start with us. That you start with this imperfect being. That you show us, Father God, that you are more than capable and able to carry us through. Lord, we heal to you today. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for what has taken place here today. That the vessels that you have used and Lord, the wonderful opportunity that you've given us again, again and again and again. To say I want to meet with you. When you leave from this place today. You go and impact the world and you impact the sphere of influence that God has given you. Don't hold back from what God has given you. Stand firm into yes, the one thing that He's told you to do. Don't take on all the other things. Just stand firm in the one thing that He's given you. Joy has come to your house again. Healing has come to your house again. Restoration has come to your house again. God's provision has come to your house again. Not because of the base city church, but it's got everything to do with where your heart is aligned today. The chains have fallen. Lord, we give you all the glory. We give you all the honor. Lord, you are so beautiful. Thank you for meeting with us today. Thank you for helping us understand, Father God, that this mighty army is not just ready for battle, but is ready to complete everything that you've set for the church to do that we need to go that we need to make disciples that we need to be our father God and have this full understanding that when we set our feet into a, a position and a building opportunity that demons will tremble things will flee because of the name of Jesus and because of the fact that you represent Christ where you go you don't need to preach the word just love the word just love the word. Lord, we thank you. Be blessed wherever you do this week. Be blessed whatever wherever you travel. Be blessed in your business, in your workplace, in the schooling, in your studies, in everything that you do. God bless you and keep you. That the Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you his peace. That the Lord lift up his countenance towards you. In Jesus' name. Amen.